I never wanted to believe that my dad was stealing from his job as a road worker. But when I got home, all the signs were there. Welcome to Behind the Veil, the podcast. Today we'll learn about how to keep your cells their healthiest. What makes an artist tick? Hear about the pet inspired by the Red Rocker and more. So stick around, tune it in, and turn it up. Hey, Veil Place. So glad to be joining you for this month's edition of Behind the Veil, the podcast. Well, this month's topics focus on that intersection between art, mental health, and recovery. We at the Clubhouse have long known the value of artistic expression in the lives of our members. Now, I'm not sure that everyone's aware, but there's an increasingly deep pool of research drawing the clear connection between artistic expression and positive health outcomes and wellness especially for those who are able to consistently engage in this practice. Now, this topic seems especially timely as we're on the brink of Mental Health Awareness Month here in May and the return of our very own in-person history theater performance in St. Paul on May 3rd. But more to come on that shortly. I wanted to just highlight the connection and ability for folks to find recovery in myriad ways seems especially important in our conversation around mental health awareness as so many of those around us who may be new to mental illness or have a skewed perspective due to media portrayal may be under the faulty assumption that recovery is seldom accessible, much less possible. While we see firsthand a world of opportunity and success in the recovery efforts of our friends and colleagues in the clubhouse on a daily basis, while this month's BTV is chock full of all sorts of amazing items, the theme of art and its positive impact on mental health echoes through many of the stories of our members of the clubhouse community. From mindful basketry to drum groups to rock and roll bands and a whole slew of other creative initiatives through our clubhouse, our community has long recognized the value of this alternative form of expression connection and sharing to be able to not only support the recovery of many of our members, but celebrations and opportunities for us to feel connected and belonging. When I think of all the moments where I've watched members perform for one another, sharing their arts and talent, helping others to feel like they're not alone, it's some of the most moving moments in the clubhouse. Hello and welcome listeners. This episode I will talk about the benefits of antioxidants, why they are important in your daily lives, and then a few examples of some natural food that contain antioxidants. First off, what are antioxidants and why are they beneficial? Antioxidants can be man-made substances or everyday substances that can be grown from the ground. They can be used to prevent or delay some types of cell damage or decay. If you're going for the substance route, the following can be obtained. Beta-carotene, lutein, lycopene, selenium, and also vitamins A, C, and E. However, here are a few natural sources. 
There's broccoli and spinach, carrots and potatoes. Next, let's go over some potential benefits. The main reason antioxidants are essential to a healthy lifestyle is the fact that there is a little-known molecular structure known as the free radical. But for all purposes, we will just refer to these guys as the rusty ones, as they make your cells oxidize. The more oxidized your cells are, the more rusty they get. So, in a nutshell, antioxidants allow your cells to deoxidize, hence the name antioxidants. In this way, your cells will be more resilient to diseases like heart disease, and some forms of cancer will be delayed or reduced. They don't necessarily work all by themselves, but in combination with other nutrients. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for the rest of this podcast, and be on the lookout for the next episode, where we will be discussing prebiotics and their health benefits. Quick, get out your calendar. Are you free on May the 3rd? If you are, save the date for the History Theater and let our voices be heard. We'll have poems, songs, and personal journeys and stories that come from the heart. Be a witness to wisdom and you will be surely moved by the beautiful art that draws from the well of honest experience reflections from the river of life bridging the canyon of the human condition and the mountains the hopeful have climbed so you'll enjoy from a cozy seat in the lovely downtown St. Paul come, come for the courage and stay for performance we call my story today i'm here to talk about my dog sammy my stepdad needed a new puppy so tess could train it to hunt so he bought sammy from a breeder in hastings he wanted a female yellow lab and he chose to name the puppy sammy hagar after the red rocker because of her red-yellow fur. We got the call on July 4th that a litter of puppies was born July 1st, 2021. So we waited six to eight weeks for the puppies to be ready to leave their mom. In August, my stepdad chose Sammy out of 12 puppies, four of which were yellow females. I was with Scott when he picked her out because I was super excited for the new puppy to come home. And when we brought her home, Tess took to her right away. At first, Scott thought Sammy was not that smart, that she was just a little doo-doo-doo. So he decided to call her Ding Dong. But me and my sisters called her Sammer Dammer Ding Dong, even though she looks more like a Twinkie. She was a happy puppy. She would rip up Lindsay's shoes when she was bored. She liked to lay on my back sometimes, and we think she imprinted on our three cats because she was more aloof like a cat. And Sammy didn't see the point of barking like Tess did at everything. So Sammy knew every trick that Tess knew besides speak and roll over. Sammy used to go between our legs to get her butt scratched just like Tess did when she was happy. She would rub on our legs to give us hugs. 
She was just so happy. You couldn't help but to be happy. Sammy was my little ray of sunshine, especially during my year and a half of severe depression. When my mom and stepdad moved to Arkansas in 2016, they took the dogs with them. I moved to St. Paul with my cat. I miss my happy girl, Sammy, but for the week of 4th of July in 2017, I got to visit my family down in Arkansas. Sammy was so happy to see me that my mom said that she was dancing when she saw me. I was so happy to see my happy girl. She remembered me even though we hadn't seen each other in over a year and a half. I got to see her again in 2018. My stepdad brought her up for a hunting trip in North Dakota. And I saw her again in 2020 when my mom and stepdad came up for the week in the summer. She remembered me both times. Although in 2020, they also brought their new dog, Cabo, with them. Sammy didn't like Cabo at first. She was very upset that they got a new puppy. Sammy got depressed in 2016 when Tess died. So much so that my mom actually brought her to the vet to see what was wrong with her. So I thought she'd love a new friend, but nope. Sammy also has a special bond with my mom. Sammy lays on my mom's side of the bed, and Sammy has her own special frisbee that my mom throws to her. My mom has been doing Sammy's physical therapy with her ever since she dislocated her hip in 2021. And she gets special treats, too, to support her joints and muscles. Even though Sammy has a special bond with my mom, I have a special bond with her, too. Sammy will always be my sunshine. And I'll always be Sammy's favorite out of my sisters. I have always bonded with all my pets. But Sammy has always held a special place in my heart. My Sammer Dammer Ding Dong. Did you know the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month? I was aware, yes. Then you must know that you can plan all of May with your clubhouse or organization to participate in Clubhouse Giving Day 2023, which is June 1st. Now that is news to me. Please elaborate. Sure. Clubhouse Giving Day is an online giving event providing clubhouses their own opportunity to connect with their community and to celebrate clubhouses and raise funds to keep the clubhouses open. That's great. So it's June 1st? Yes, but you can give a little early or a little later, as the giving period is May 18th to June 8th. So what is different about this giving day? I like to say that this Clubhouse Giving Day is the day where I ask for donations in the name of those who cannot, those who have severe anxiety or those who can't use the phone or can't leave home to participate in this or other fundraisers. You can ask every year for those who can't. I think I'll donate. How do I go about doing that? Well, you can donate solo or get others involved from your work or interest groups or places of worship. And it is probably tax deductible, so check with your tax advisor. This is all great. Where can I donate come May 18th? Simply visit www.clubhousegivingday.org to donate and a receipt will be sent to you. So just find Vail Place and donate? Sounds so easy, even a Chad could do it. Yes, agreed. But let's delete that bit about Chad. Agreed. Will you donate May 18th through June 8th? 
How much do you think you can give to help those who need a clubhouse? Will Chad hear this and get back at Mark? These questions and more can be answered at www.clubhousegivingday.org. So I know I mentioned earlier that I'd talk a little bit further about the upcoming History Theater performance on May 3rd. But for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to attend this performance, I've been describing this as one of the most touching and powerful of all Veil performances, bar none. The collaboration between our History Theater artists, our performer members, brings out an authentic and genuineness that's unmatched in any other performance that I've had a chance to be in the audience for, both here at Vale and beyond. The ability of members to share their stories and talk about their experience as human beings rather than being defined by their mental illness is totally unique and provides the community around us an opportunity to see the lives of our members differently. This history theater performance is unrivaled in giving insights into the lives of our members, providing a glimpses into those moments not defined by therapy sessions or medications or or interactions with the hospital, but rather those ordinary, kind of sometimes extraordinary moments of their humanity, feelings of jubilation, moments of struggle, and everywhere in between. For those that don't know, this aspect of our community is somewhat unique in the world of Clubhouse, providing purposeful, meaningful work, drawing out a level of intimacy, strength, and courageousness that extends our performers' work well beyond those everyday activities that make our community what it is. I've remarked on several occasions how I don't know many people, Clubhouse or otherwise, who don't find performing in front of an audience on stage one of their biggest fears or challenges. And yet, over eight years, I've watched how our members have consistently stepped forward, leaned into this challenge, and share a part of their souls, their hearts, for the benefit, understanding, and enjoyment of the community around us. To say that I'm proud is kind of an understatement. I've had one member performer recently share with me how their experience in their writing and sharing this story was one of their most transformative and healing actions that they've ever taken in their life. I hope that you have the chance to join us in person for the performance on the 3rd, or if not, watch some of the recordings that we'll be putting together and sharing with others as the month goes on. I'll leave you with one of my favorite moments of these performances as our very own Richard shares his mental health blues. I've since I was 15. Maybe I'll 
our members who, here at the Uptown Clubhouse, is known for coming in and brightening our day. We always think of her with baskets and tow, but she does many other things as well. So today we'll hear from our own Martha Bird. Martha's been doing art for many years and came to art later in life, but that doesn't slow her down at all. So let's find out more about Martha, her art, and her life. Margaret Humphreys interviews. Martha, what would you like to start us out with? <laughs> well, hello, everybody. I'm really happy to um, be here today. And I had to think when you said I started later in life, and, like, that's true and not true. Um, because I've been doing um, art. I just didn't recognize it as such. You know, ever since I was a little girl doing embroidery on my grandmother's hankies, you know. Yeah, so I've been doing um, art for a long time, but I didn't recognize it until after I was 50. After you were 50? That's quite late in life. I know, and what that seems to me to do, I mean, I remember reading that of these different people that, you know, discovered some latent talent late in life, and I remember one time just looking inward thinking, now, do I have anything that's in there that will come out late in life? And I thought, no, I know everything that's in there. And then at 52, after doing a couple of EMDR sessions, which is a type of therapy, um, all of a sudden I connected to myself as an artist and I was like, and I've had a lot of success. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had something inside me that I didn't even know that I couldn't have identified. So I guess I'm one of those. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about about when you really started? Um, I mean, I know you as as an artist and who started out doing basket weaving, but you've taken that and taken it to a whole new level. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I took my, I had um, had an injury uh, back in 1992 and was put on bed rest for a couple of years, hoping that my back would heal, and I'm a good follower of directions sometimes. I did stay on the modified bed rest, but it did not heal, and so um, I just got sick of that and thought, this isn't working, and so I thought, I've got to do something, and it just happened that I took a basket class. And so um, I took the class, and I loved it, and it got me back being social and moving my body and um, interacting with people, and it, it basically rehabbed me from that back injury. And so that was the very start of it. Um, and then I did it for a whole bunch of years, took a lot of classes, learned a lot of techniques, um, and then started expanding into other art forms, and it was back in 2000. 2016, um, after doing the couple of EMDR sessions, I mentioned that I reconnected to my basketry specifically and started moving it into sculpture as a way to um, express what is inside me out visually for other people to see. So Martha, what does making art do for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Art, art making is really, it's become very, very important to me. It's something I think about every day, and it is the hook for me to stay engaged with life. It's interesting, it's challenging, um, 
it's inspiring to me. Um, yeah, it does so much for me. But it, it's basically that it's it's my hook to stay engaged with life, and that's really really important for my vitality and resilience. And beyond making baskets, what is it that you are making? When you conceptualize a piece or come up with the idea, how does that come out of you? And, and how does that, does it take, you know, 10 minutes or hours or days or how does that work for you? Yeah, another really good question. So I started out as a basket weaver, but I've really moved away from that, and I've kept the, those foundational skills. And what I do is, what I'm making now is, I call it sculptural basketry. And I like to continue to use that word basketry because I'm always starting with some kind of foundational basketry technique, a weave. Um, invariably, it's an extremely difficult one and challenging one, and that's part of what it engages me um, and uh, the material I use is willow and um, it's a year long process to, to get that ready to work with I grow and harvest my own willow I have nine different varieties which means different colors and it's um, basketry willow so it's not the tree that you think of it's um, shoots that grow straight up from the ground and then I harvest them every winter um, dry them for a year and that gets rid of the shrinkage in it and then when I'm ready to use it I need to soak it one day per foot and mine are about eight and nine feet tall so I'm soaking it for 10 days and then I wrap it in a sheet and mellow it for one day to let the, the moisture continue to move into the fibers and then I can weave and I have about a week to weave something before it dries up again and then I can't use the material again so it's very time specific and um, a lot of commitment oh my goodness I had no idea it took so long that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a lot. <laughs> you wouldn't know that. So what is an artist's artist life like? Oh, I love that question. Um, I thought an artist's life was just creating art all the time, but as I've become a professional exhibiting artist, I've learned it's so much more than that. I had taken a class that talked about if you're going to be a professional artist, the split will be 80-20, meaning 80% of your time will be spent on marketing and you know fundraising and things like that, and then 20% on creating. And I thought, no way, that life is not for me. I will never let that happen. I'm going to be one of those artists that create all the time and here I am years later and I've got an 80% 20% split because I need to you know apply for funding um, to sustain my work and I need to you know prepare my materials and I have a website it's marthabirdart.com and um, I need to prepare that I just started an Instagram account and that's at marthabirdart um, and so all of that takes time taking photographs documenting my work so it looks professional so I can apply for shows shipping sculptures things like that it's it's very engaging and it's like I said it's what keeps me very engaged that's the focus of my life oh that's fascinating now you mentioned funding where, where can you get funding as an artist well so my very start 
when I first started, I didn't know any of this. And I saw that Vail Place has an educational fund that they offer members. Any member has access to it. It was either $60 or $80. I don't remember what it was. But I applied for that, and I took my first sculptural basketry class ever using the funds from Vail Place to take this class. And I was so grateful that Vail had a kind of an expanded view of what could be educational. And so I got that grant. I took that class, and then I went on from there. And so now Minnesota is very, very um, appreciative of their artists and the contribution that artists make. And so there's numerous grants um, that I have applied for and received. I'm very privileged to um, have been funded year after year. So what's it like to exhibit your art, and, and how do you go about doing that? And where have you exhibited? Well, exhibiting, oh, it's such a wonderful experience. You know, I do the making, and I and I actually do the making to please myself. So um, my focus is pleasure, and so I'll start with a weave that would be pleasurable to me. And then I enjoy the whole process, and then I have a finished product, and I um, apply for exhibits. I apply to Call for Arts. And so when I'm selected, it's just exhilarating to know that somebody else is interested in what I've made. And then I... Um, almost always go to the opening reception and the idea of seeing my work in a professional setting is amazing and then to watch people interacting with my work and oftentimes they'll come up and talk to me about how they feel about what they see and what I've done and it just it it completely feeds me as an artist it, it it's really really rewarding and I um, have exhibited in places like the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum um, the Minnesota History Center uh, in St. Paul and recently I've been expanding um, out of state and I exhibited in New York City down in down um, um, Midtown Manhattan oh my goodness and the Chelsea oh Arts God, District so <laughs> it was oh my gosh it was wonderful and then also Cape Cod Massachusetts oh my gosh I used to live out there so I went to that opening too and um, Virginia and Washington State and Pennsylvania and yeah it's just it's exhilarating oh that's fascinating as we start to wind down, what are some things, Martha, that people don't know about you? <laughs> um, so one of them is that I love skydiving, and <laughs> and I have jumped off a probably, I don't know, 40-foot cliff into the water. I'm a scuba diver. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, let's oh see, God. I've explored caves where they were so dark and small that I had to crawl on my belly to get to the underwater lake that was down in Mexico. So um, those are not things I talk about very often, but yeah, those are parts of me. And I would say that comes out in my art in the kind of, you know, seeking out very difficult weaves that nobody else is doing. So um, the main weave I do is a spiral weave, and that comes from a small area in France. And very, very few people in the United States are doing it. And I happen to, like, love it and do it over and over again so that spirit of challenge and adventure kind of carries through oh so where do you see your art going in the future oh <laughs> you're getting to my long-term goal <laughs> 
I have a long-term goal, so there is um, the Guggenheim in New York City is my goal. I've been there twice to visit, and it's a Frank Lloyd Wright building. I was born in Wisconsin, and he it was from Wisconsin, and the building is a spiral shape, and so I want to show my spirals in the rotunda of that, and as a lead-up, um, as kind of practicing that, I'm currently have an exhibit um, just down the street from Vail Place at the First Universalist Church in the sanctuary area. They've hung, um, I don't know, seven or so of my spirals together, and that's kind of a, you know, a step towards that Guggenheim, but I have been in touch with the Guggenheim about their application process, and that that is that is my my dream. Oh, that's fascinating. Thank you so much today for your for your words and for your kindness and in, in sharing with us. We really all appreciate it, Martha, and we really appreciate you sharing your art with us and the basket weaving uh, that you've done in the past and hopefully in the future with a grant coming through, perhaps. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. And, you know, the one thing I also wanted to mention, the, when you asked about what Vail Place has done for me, it was not only the educational grant, but also um, I received a um, regional grant that allowed me to start building my skills as a teacher. I've always been afraid to teach and thought I didn't know anything, and I couldn't do that with self-confidence. And so I got this grant, and Vail Place um, allowed me to come in, and we worked together for a year where I'd come in monthly and um, everybody built collaborative baskets together. And so we have those baskets um, that we've made together as a community. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks to Mark J., Sebastian W., and Kevin F. for putting together the podcast. Contributors include Sebastian, Marissa, Mark J., Martha B., Margaret H., and more. And every voice speaking up about Vail Place and carrying our stories.